Hello there, Pulsing Black listeners. This is Christine coming to you with another fantastic episode. This one is near and dear because recently, especially in light of the pandemic and everything we have been going through and all the social and racial and social justice and racial unrest we've been experiencing, I have really been trying to champion mental health and mental well-being for us as a people especially and being a voice and being a testimony that therapy works. For me, my formula has been Jesus and therapy. And so um, in this episode, I'm just so excited to be joined by some lovely, lovely Black powerhouse women who are championing mental health in our community and are openly speaking about its benefits and advocating for it in our community. And so joining me today are Rebecca and Gaynell. Did I say it correctly? Yes. Correct me if I did not. Yep. (laughs) Or Dr. Nave for y'all. Um, so we're just going to start by hearing a little bit more about where these ladies come from and how the places that they were born and raised shaped their Black identity. Rebecca, welcome to the show. I'll have you go first. Oh, yes. Thank you for having me. It's such an opportunity to have this moment to share with you and Gaynell. So thank you so much. Yeah. Um, just a little bit about me. I have a very rich history. I believe we all do. But, you know, one of the things that has helped form my identity is understanding the the struggles and also the the journey of my family. Um, my father was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, got in some trouble in a gang um, and got shipped to Idlewild, Michigan when he mm-hmm. was a teenager. And then my mother is originally from Missouri and her family and her parents were sharecroppers. Okay. My grandfather left and came to Morley, Michigan, where he purchased over a hundred acres of land. Um, he, he did a lot of amazing things. And then my parents met there in okay. up North Michigan. And so I was born and raised in Grand Rapids though. Mm. Um, left at 18 and went to Jackson State University, which is a historical black college in Jackson, Mississippi, resided there for 13 years and then returned back to Grand Rapids in 2017. And so, you know, a little bit about my childhood growing up here in Grand Rapids, once again, it was very rich. My parents made sure that we were a part of, you know, educational opportunities that taught us about our culture and our heritage. I attended Southeast Academic Center, which is an elementary school. It was K through eighth grade. And Mm -hmm. it was majority, I would say 98% African-American. There were African-American teachers, African-American principals. It was amazing. We learned a lot, even in that environment at a very young age. And so... After those experiences, going to middle school, same thing, high school, attended Creston High School, once again, very diverse. So, you know, just being in that atmosphere and knowing my family culture and history has been very, very beneficial for not only me, but also in teaching my children. Wow, that's amazing. Just the journey, right? And how you continued to be affirmed in your racial identity, I think is is important to notice, you know. Mm -hmm. All right, Dr. Gaynell. How about you, sis? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is an absolute honor. Before I go into my little spiel, I just want to say, Rebecca, I love the use of the word rich in and the way in which you just shared your story. Mm. I'm gonna have to steal that. <laughs> you said yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that reclaiming the way in which we tell our stories in a positive manner and being in the seat of author is phenomenal. Yes. So I am originally from Jamaica. That's where I was born and raised, as Will Smith would say. In terms of historically and us as Jamaicans, we are a multi-ethnic people. The Mm -hmm. motto of Jamaica, the national motto is out of many one people. My ancestors are, my specific ancestors are Syrian, Chinese, Indian, West African, specifically more so Ghana. Mm -hmm. And that those groups of people came in different phases based on colonialism. So (laughs) yeah, that's that. But then we also have our actual indigenous people or first peoples, Mm -hmm. the Spaniards in uh, 1494 
came to Jamaica and of course they brought diseases and they, as we know with colonization, Mm -hmm. it was very brutal. It horrendous environment to the point at which up until maybe decades or so ago, I didn't know that there, that our first people groups, that there were still people living to this day, because what we were told growing up is that they know they were all gone due to that experience and encounter with Mm -hmm. the Spanish. Mm. And then the British came in 1655. But before they came, you know, we had the slave trade where Mm -hmm. our people were taken from their homes, their homelands to this foreign country to work the fields because the indigenous people weren't as suited for such hard labor. Even that terminology is very colonial in seeing people in that way as to be traded and as commodities rather than human beings. But like, yeah. So after... 1655 when the British came the Spaniards sort of like released the or enslaved people and they went to the mountains and that those group of people are now known to this day as the Maroons and they are the closest thing we have to our African heritage they have their own language their own customs they helped to free a lot of the slaves and actually our first hero is actually a heroine nanny of the Maroons helped to free slaves helped to get our people out of bondage and fought against the red coats and established five free towns that still exist to this day, like a compound and some others, which at this point I can't remember. (laughs) 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 You know, so like we have this history of knowing as a collective or history as a people, but there's a lack of connect with our own familial history. Mm. So I don't know those things as much. I know of my, I met four, three of my great grandmothers, which I'm immensely grateful for, fiercely independent women. They all, well, two of them were blind in their old age, but they still live by themselves. We'd go down and mm. visit them. They were very self-sufficient. You know, they didn't slow down in the old age, except for Granny Kogel. She stopped dyeing her hair because <laughs> she couldn't see to do it. Wow. <laughs> and, and so in Jamaica, compared to the United States, do people yes. consider themselves Black? Do they see themselves as no. a racial group of Black people? No, no. I didn't consider myself Black until I came to the U.S. Hmm. Like, we're Jamaicans. Like, we don't have this distinction of this person is a Chinese Jamaican, this person is an African Jamaican. Like, those things aren't the ways in which we define ourselves. We, obviously, there's colorism because that's the dirty sister of racism, right? I've never heard it referred to (laughs) the dirty sister of racism. (laughs) Yeah, she's insidious. Racism, I feel Mm -hmm. like for most people, it's a lot easier to see. But colorism, that we have this other complexity of anti-blackness that seeps in. And so I grew up seeing people bleaching and like the government having a campaign against that to, to wow. be more pro-black, to have a beautifully Nubian girl. Like um, I would say her complexion could um, not compare, but like... I'm at a loss for what the word would be, but she would be comparable to a Sudanese in terms of the depth Mm. of her skin. And that was the depth of skin tone she had. And she was on TV, this little black girl saying that I will not bleach my skin. My black is beautiful. Wow. And to this day, I, it's amazing to me that that was the rhetoric that was being shown. Mm. because we have a very complex relationship with the western world like we're close to the u.s and so the american relationship and how the uh the united states has been involved in other countries affairs influences our culture right right influence the way in which we see ourselves and there's also this um notion that I really feel goes back to anti-blackness, internalized anti-blackness, where we as a people, we have this saying that we're little but we talawa. 
meaning we're small but mighty. Like we have gumption, we, we, we have fight, we are brilliant people, we have the fastest man in the world, you know, things like that. <laughs> then in the same, within, the, within the same breath, we will look down on the natural resources, the youth and other aspects of our culture because the outside world has not validated it. Wow. And so even that's interesting, even the word validation, because for a long time, I think even as an immigrant myself, you seek validation and not in a bad way, because it's Mm -hmm. human nature to want to be in spaces where you feel affirmed and liked. Right. 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 But the fact that even being liked as simple as that sounds, is Mm -hmm. not always extended to Black people, Black children, Black (laughs) communities. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious to hear from y'all how those sentiments, those feelings, along with just trying to do daily life, shaped how mental health in your lives was seen. Um, Rebecca, I'll have you go, because I remember growing up um, in Kenya, mental health stigma is real still. I mean, most places it is, but I remember even the name of the hospital um, in Kenya, Madari Hospital, that used to be um, for psychiatric patients. And whenever people were heard to have gone there, they're just deemed crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, and really crazy. You've gone mad, you've gone crazy. The, it's so complicated that even when I moved here to Grand Rapids and I was working as a Swahili interpreter for some of the refugee. Uh, families, I used to dread mental health appointments because there is no vocabulary Mm. to describe mental health terminology. And mind you, I'm a pharmacist. I trained as a pharmacist, so I know the the Mm -hmm. definition. So I would have to define the terms to the patient so they understand what the doctor is saying. And I used to wonder, so what happens to an interpreter who doesn't have medical background? You know, they're just a linguist, right? How are they describing bipolar versus depression versus anxiety versus, Mm -hmm. you know, the other thing, right? Because the way languages form and the way vocabulary is introduced to a culture, it's Mm -hmm. based on usage as the more something new is being used, the more people are like, okay, maybe this needs to be part of the dictionary. Maybe this part Mm -hmm. needs to be accepted as a, a word. And so the lack of that conversation has perpetuated the lack of vocabulary and language. And so, Rebecca, growing up, like, how was mental health defined or mental health, uh, or mental wellness or uh, psychiatric evaluation, anything you can think of growing up, what, what were your, um, what was your exposure to that? So one of the very early memories that I have um, was about like family members and Mm. I made um, some content around this. And the question um, that I remember asking my mother was, what does a nervous breakdown mean? Like, Mm. I don't get that. Like, what is a nervous breakdown? And she was like, well, that's when a person is just very, very stressed and they have to go to the hospital. And I'm like, oh, so, you know, does that mean I'm gonna go to the hospital? Like, well, I have a nervous breakdown. Like, what does this mean? And she just was like, no, you know, it's something that people, adults experience. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, at a very young age, I'm internalizing this, like, so as an adult, am I gonna have a nervous breakdown? Like, what Mm -hmm. does that really mean? Um, Then I also remember, um, you know, just seeing in our community individuals who would be walking the streets, um, talking to themselves or um, family members who would be, quote unquote, like put away to a hospital or et cetera. Wow. And family would just, you know, not really talk about it, but right. they'll say things like, well, you know, they, they're at this hospital or they no longer live with us. They're at a group home. Mm. And once again, still that curiosity, like what is really going on? Like, why? Why aren't we having these conversations about what is really being, you know, um, or what is really being experienced by the individuals in our family? And um, that was very disturbing to me. And I remember getting to an age where it was actually after my parents separated and my mom wanted me to go to counseling. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, is this something that Black people do? Like, is this okay? And actually my first therapist, because I am a therapist with a therapist, and I will gladly advocate for that. Yes. Um, I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, my first therapist, she was an older white woman, and it was a very 
interesting. Yes, and I'll, I'll use interesting. It was a very interesting experience because I could not relate to her at all. And I remember her office just being kind of like gray and like mm. not welcoming. And even as I look in hindsight, some of the microaggressions that were, you know, being stated in the in the session, like I remember her asking things like, oh, so your father was a part of your family? And I'm like, yeah, like my father always been in a home, you know, my parents is now separating, but you know, I'm kind of figured this out, like what angle wow. is that? But it was a mm. very uncomfortable experience. And I remember mm -hmm. when I went to college, before I went to college, I went to, um, like I said, Jackson State, but I majored in psychology. And I remember saying, I want to create a space for women, mm -hmm. specifically Black women, to feel safe. And I want them to be able to come and to be themselves and to know that they'll be heard and to also, you know, know that they can heal. Because in that moment, like I told my mom, like after like two sessions, I'm like, I'm never going back to her. Wow. And she was like, okay, but that was all she knew at the time. I didn't mm. know of any black therapist. She didn't know of any black therapist. And so, yeah, growing up, it was very interesting. Um, it wasn't talked about. It, we wow. just knew that something was going on, but right. it wasn't about it all. Wow. It's it's amazing how regardless of where the three of us came from, it's it was the same experience, right? Like yeah. mm -hmm. whenever somebody in the family would need mental health services, it, it was almost like people didn't even know how to talk about that. And like mm -hmm. what's going on with them and what support they need. Because even me growing up, short of seeing somebody's children show up at our doorstep, be it our cousin or just an extended family member and just being like, oh, their parent is not okay right now. And then later being told like, oh, they were admitted somewhere. Whereas if they were in a normal hospital for a normal ailment, they would say, oh, their mom is over here. Even when they go to for childbirth, they'll say, oh, she's having a baby. We're going to keep the other kids for a little while. Or, but when it's mental health, it's like, it was a lot of eggshells, yeah. right? But Dr. Game now. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, oh, Rebecca. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think, you know, once again, that, that goes back to a lot of our historical experiences, you know, mm -hmm. um, just as a people, people of color, period. We have yes. experienced some of the worst tragedies like that have been known. Mm -hmm. And so our families have been separated. We have been mm -hmm. um, a part of systems that did not uh like really embrace us and mm -hmm. for experiments we have been elated our families have been drastically um impacted by some of the systems that we were a part of that were supposed to take care of us mm -hmm. so you know once again it's almost like we need to keep this under wraps and we need to protect one another even if someone does have to go into this system like let's mm -hmm. not really talk about it like like, like wow. let's not make light of what's really going on um and i feel like that still happens today and that's a lot wow. of reason why stigma is still in place because it's like okay can we trust these systems that historically have hurt us have abused mm -hmm. us have separated us mm -hmm. and when you put you know some of those historical contexts into why you know there is some hesitation in receiving services then it makes a lot of sense why we want to protect our own and why we really don't want to talk about it openly but at the same time you know that shift it is a huge shift that is going wow. on and i think that's what we, you know we have to continue to focus on is that we're shifting from some of those systems and not only are those systems held by our counterparts we now hold the the ownership to mental health we are the gatekeepers to these services where as one at one point it wasn't we didn't have right. any ownership of private practices or we weren't licensed or we didn't have the say so or we weren't at certain tables to make decisions on behalf of people of color wow it's amazing you say that because when i was working with refugees i noticed like part of their resettlement is learning the laws of the land mm -hmm. and so for example if a child goes to school and says something to the teacher that puts the the family in direct line of let's say cps right the child protective services um and it's an it's a cultural thing and so as an interpreter i was well positioned to say hey let me be a cultural broker in this instant so that this family does not get traumatized and know that this um, agency that is meant to protect children has 
rules they follow, but if you didn't even understand them to begin with, can I just help communicate that too? Because like you said, to reduce that whole mistrust of the systems in place, but also educating people on like what the rules and regulations really are. So they're not breaking them unknowingly. And then they might get a, you know, a caseworker who doesn't really care for cultural competence and taking their kids away. And we know how long it takes to get your kids back. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Gaynell, tell us about how mental health like was addressed in your upbringing and what that looked like. Yeah, before I go into that, so th- there's something that you both said with regards to normal, mm. you know, like normal reasons to go to the hospital, even us using that terminology is part of that. girl. <laughs> Every time we skip to your segment, I'm just ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. And I love you for it. Go ahead, girl. School us. <laughs> that is another way in which mental health stigma exists mm. within the larger community and then within our own Black communities, right? right? So back home, we have the experience of we got displaced as people, but then also the colonizers the or oppressors left for the most part does that make sense as opposed to here in the u.s as black people we exist within a smaller group of people so we got taken here yes without our permission that kind of stuff so back home Mm. the systems even though there are um repercussions not necessarily repercussions but there are remnants Mm. of the system that wasn't created to support us yes because we are then in the seat of power i never experienced seeing a clinician that didn't look like me Mm. so christine earlier you talked about like jesus and therapy i'm in the same boat however back home we are a very passionate people and there are certain emotional presentations that are permissible Mm -hmm. and one of those is anger another Mm -hmm. one is being passionate weeping and sadness are not so much safe to express in your daily life unless there is a circumstance like someone passed away or you're in church and like you're singing and you're worshiping god okay if you're out in the normal in not normal, normal but, <laughs> I know that word. Out <laughs> in your day-to-day experience, people will look at you. Wow. Oh, what's wrong with that person? And my expertise clinically is intergenerational trauma and really looking at how trauma is passed down through the generations, the way in which we view mental health is a remnant of that because it wasn't safe. To cry it wasn't safe to be vulnerable it wasn't safe to show up as our full selves and so we end up with parents who it wasn't safe to do those things and it's the environment is becoming safer but they're still utilizing the same tools from their great-grandmother and so then we end up with situations where like for me i'll tell my personal story so when i was younger i um had a lot of anxiety and depression which i know got diagnosed or like I had an experience of having PTSD. I don't have it anymore, but I didn't know that then. And I was experiencing a lot of hardship and I had suicidal thoughts back then. And it had gotten to a point where my parents were concerned. And so they sent me to see a therapist. Mm. Just quick note, if you are a parent and your child is having an issue, it is also important that you take a look at yourself and get support because nurture and nature go together. And Mm. so it's not just necessarily the child who is having an issue. Your child having challenges can affect you. And so it's Mm. important that you have support as well. Sure. Um, yeah, so I, that was my first experience going to therapy. And I remember that the therapist fixated on me being the middle child. Like they didn't really listen to me. 
And after that experience, I was like, I'm done. Wow. <laughs> like, I am, nope. <laughs> wow. And I, you know, and having other experiences of being like, oh, I'm stressed. Oh, why are you stressed? Here's some scripture. Or what do you have to, to be stressed about? You're a child. Mm. So your experience, Rebecca, where your mom was like, adults have these experiences. I think in my observation that sometimes parents and adults may not want to consider that their child isn't safe or the children around them aren't safe. And so when we come to them with these concerns, there is a likelihood or possibility of the response being, oh, you're a child, you don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. What could you be dealing with? What could you be dealing with? (laughs) Yeah. And I think it goes back to that safety thing again. Sure. But then also fear if I can't protect my child, if my child is experiencing these things, that kind of stuff. And so that was my experience, like firsthand experience of, and so I bottled up a lot of stuff. Mm. I knew at four years old that I wanted to be a doctor. And then when I became a believer, I really wanted everything to give glory to God. So I'm like, God, am I really supposed to be a doctor? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> you so start I, doubting your calling and your purpose even. Right. And so I remember talk, talking to someone about, oh, should I be a therapist or a doctor? And I remember them saying this and that be a doctor because then you can do both. Mm-hmm. And that is actually part of what like drew me to naturopathic medicine, you know, like seeing people as whole people, like even in Mm -hmm. scripture, God sees us mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. And so it didn't make sense to me why healthcare and mental health didn't see us in the same way. Mm. Wow. And our cultures have these rich histories of taking care of the land, taking care of each other. But when it comes to the mental, emotional sphere, there's this tendency to like not discuss things. Wow. Yeah. It's really disheartening. It's really sad that anger, you know, like mm. tough it up, you know, be superwoman, be the black superwoman. <laughs> we are tired. Can somebody have a t-shirt that says that? Rebecca, we were talking about t-shirts. Black oh women yes. Are tired t-shirt. Girl, girl, so tired mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, so <laughs> that that was my experience. Like there were there are therapists, but sometimes the therapists within the community were more religiously affiliated. Mm. And I think sometimes actually let me back up. I think it's important that for those of us who are in healthcare, mental health or otherwise, that we remain objective, we remain impartial we remain a safe space for people to express and explore their thoughts and beliefs because otherwise we end up in situations where those feelings can then morph into something that's more dark and insidious right can result in us literally getting physically ill right correct and to be honest my my next question was going to be who in your life that was Black championed mental health? But even before asking that question, now that you Mm -hmm. talk about holistic wellness, I'm Mm -hmm. wondering, historically, as a people, for example, as an African immigrant, I know there was a time before British colonialism that my people had a different kind of spiritual narrative. Mm -hmm. And I know for Black Americans, even during slavery, like religion and practicing religion was one of the things they couldn't even initially do. And Mm -hmm. then it became a part of their history in such a beautiful way because it's traced back to even like the civil rights movement and how our our religious practices played a role in mm-hmm. communicating messages at a time where it was so unsafe through <laughs> hymns, right, Rebecca, like through music and all that. But with mental health, though, it's like, I feel there's always a tug of war between religion, spirituality, history, mm-hmm. and then medicine, because mm-hmm. even medicine is to a large extent, Western medicine. If we're talking medicine, right. you know, there are people who are trying to find themselves again and come out of Western medicine and expectations that Western medicine is the only way they govern their health. Mm-hmm. And so where does mental health fit in in all of that as we are, again, historically, where mm-hmm. we've come from and where we are trying, what we are trying to reclaim of our identities while 
all of that is so mentally taxing at the same time. It's like an oxymoron. It's like it, you're depleting at the same time that you're trying to find yourself and fuel yourself. And so in your practices, how do you reconcile that? Like Rebecca, how do you reconcile where people are who are black, who are trying to like reclaim certain aspects of things that have been taken from them historically or in the present, while all of that is mentally taxing, but still trying to seek help and not having the support they may need. Mm. So I'm huge with the word advocacy. And one thing that I like to empower my clients to do is to advocate for your health. And it is your health and the Mm. services that you receive, any service provider that you receive a service from is a service provider. They're doing you a favor. Mm. And one of the things that has happened in the narratives that have been spent is that doctors are somewhat regarded as like God. What they say Mm. is like gospel. Gold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, you have the right to ask questions. You have the right to research. You have the right to say, no, I'm not going to take that medication because I don't like the side effects. You have the right to, interesting enough, you know, have done some work where I tell clients, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, but I do know that there are naturopathic doctors that are available. And there (laughs) are also, you know, family practitioners and just normal, not normal, that word. Oh, now we'll never use normal again in my life. But there are um, other doctors who practice, you know, Western medicine. And so I'm like, you know, if you want to know how to, it's so interesting. I just had this conversation yesterday. I'm like to balance the two. Mm. One, from a naturopathic standpoint, you are going to find wow. out what the body needs. You're going to find mm. out what the body's full purpose and function. You're going to get, you know, a lot of testing done so that before you even go and take this other pharmaceutical drug, you may be able to handle whatever symptoms you're experiencing from a natural standpoint. Yes. And then you may be able, or you may have to seek out, you know, additional help. But at the same time, in doing both of those is really helpful, but still being an advocate, doing some research, knowing what's Mm. good for your body, knowing what's good for your family, knowing what's good for your finances, like all of that comes into play. But at the end of the day, you are still your own advocate. And so, you know, it is okay. And that's one of the the conversations that I have is that it is okay. Even with childbirth, you know, Mm. mothers that I used to work with in a program that I worked for, I would tell them a lot of these mothers were on Medicaid and they're like, well, you know, Medicaid, the way they treat you and all of that. I'm like, honey, you still can ask questions. You still can say, this is my birth plan. You still can say, I don't want an epidural. You know, you have the right to do that. And I think the more that, um, especially our communities are aware of our voice Mm -hmm. and that that we are experts on our own bodies, then Mm -hmm. we can speak up differently when we get into certain spaces pertaining our health. So, you know, as it pertains to um, mental health symptoms and you know you may be experiencing uh, anxiety or depression or etc it is okay to use medication but I will say make sure you do your research make sure you ask a ton of questions make sure you do some of the basics taking your vitamins eating sleeping knowing what your body is alert mm-hmm. to or you know mm-hmm. make sure you're getting out and getting some exercise make sure all your levels are good you know because the seasonal affective disorder season right yes. so I tell all of my clients, you know, let's come up with our seasonal effective plan. And in that, one of the things that I recommend, once again, I'm not a medical doctor, but I always say, make sure you check in with your PCP, make sure you get all of your labs done, make sure you're checking all your supplements, the basics, get those things done first. And Mm. then if you're like, okay, I still need an additional boost or I need some more assistance with overcoming this depression, then you want to have that conversation. But yeah, just knowing that you are an advocate and that you can and being empowered in that sense because a lot of people don't ask these very important questions or they don't believe that they can and you can so yeah right and and what's most important is that I tell people all the time the doctor works for you Exactly. exactly the nurse works for you and I didn't even know that myself until I worked 
in the hospital, I was in labor and delivery working in the, at the desk. I wasn't clinically involved, but I would hear patients be like, I need to fire my nurse. I was like, where do you fire your nurse? And true to form, they would say, I don't want this nurse. You can. I don't want this nurse. And then the nurses would go into a huddle and reorganize their rooms and she would get another nurse. And I was like, you can do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so just having agency, having a voice, I think I sometimes know. we, you know, we, it's that white coat effect, right? They, they teach us white coat effect where you go in spaces where you see somebody as a person of authority and automatically even your blood pressure goes up. We mm-hmm. were learning that in pharmacy school. When you take people's blood pressure before you diagnose them with high blood pressure, ask them to measure it at home for right. a while before mm-hmm. you determine that they have high blood pressure and then subsequently medicate them because it could just be a white coat effect. They're just nervous in hospitals. Absolutely. They're just anxious when you know a, a doctor comes before them who doesn't look like them, who they don't know if they understand them. God forbid there's a language barrier on top of that. It's, mm-hmm. It can be scary. And so, yeah, Dr. Ganell, like how, whew, how do you leverage your work, even your identity, when you're trying to walk people through these intersections, religion, spirituality, mm-hmm. um, mental health, because I have had times when I tell people, I feel so anxious, girl. They're like, anxiety ain't of God, girl. We, we rebuke that. And I'm like, I'm still anxious. In fact, I'm more anxious that as my friend, you just dismissed my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm seemingly to me, because what are you saying? Like, okay, Uh yes, yes, girl. It is not of God. I know it's not one of the beatitudes or fruits of of the Holy Spirit. I get it. But what am I going to do tomorrow when I can barely get out of bed? Mm -hmm. What am I going to do the next day when I am contemplating using a sick day to just lay in bed? What's Mm going to happen the next day when I haven't washed my dishes for a week and I can't explain why? Mm-hmm. or I'm now out of clothes because I haven't washed them. Like just those things. Like mm-hmm. how, how do you help people so that they can help others and be in tune with mm-hmm. those around them and their cries for help with mental health? Mm-hmm. Before I get into that, I just want to say all of the snaps, all of the amens and the hymns for <laughs> Rebecca's rendition just now. I <laughs> tell the people, Rebecca, tell the people and I, what I'm going to say is basically going to be an echo of what she said. Yes. That embodied healing, mm-hmm. embodied healing. Let me take requ- <laughs> <laughs> Requires that we are our full selves and healed in all parameters. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that, so earlier I mentioned that God sees us, like if we're going to incorporate religion and our spirituality in it, Mm. God sees us as mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical beings in the same way that he's God three in one, right? Mm. Your physical body is not you. It is an aspect and portion of yourself. Mm. Your your mind is not you, but it is an aspect and portion of yourself, your spirit. You get it, right? Yes. And so to ignore Mm. or minimize Mm. your experience Example in with that friend who said that's not of God. That's spiritual bypassing. God doesn't do that. He mm-hmm. sees us. He wants to be involved in our stories. He wants to be a part of that healing trajectory. When we say that he's a healer, mm. that doesn't just mean physical. It means mental. It means emotional. It means the trauma. It means all of it. Mm-hmm. And God uses agents to facilitate that healing. Right. Mm which means those service providers, those doctors, those mental health clinicians, the naturopathic doctor, whomever it is that you're working with, they are an agent of healing. Mm -hmm. So for me, I don't see it as, I don't like the term help because in some definitions, it implies that I am saving the person. Mm -hmm. I prefer to use the terminology of partnering. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I am a conduit of healing, I am reminding you of your capacity to heal because you were created to heal. Mm-hmm. I'm calling you when I'm anxious. <laughs> you were created to heal. And if we ignore the sorrows and the pains that we experience, how is that helping us heal? Mm-hmm. If we bring it back to God, how is that bringing him glory? Wow. wow. Because it says, give all of your cares to him. Yes. But how can you give it if you don't know what it is? Wow. 
if you're not aware that you're experiencing anxiety, like even using the term anxiety. So that's more of a newer term that within our communities we would use. Most people would say, oh, I'm stressed or, oh, my tummy mm. hurts or I'm getting reflux. Like those symptoms yes. could be related to your anxiety. Like the mind and body connection is real. It yes. is. Your spirit, if you feel unsettled in your spirit, you know, Yes, right. can't sleep. Yeah. Can't sleep, can't eat. Mm. Maybe you're, you break out in hives. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're, you can't digest your food. Maybe you're having PMS. Maybe this period you felt like you were going crazy. You were crying. Then you were yeah. angry and all of these things. Like everything is interconnected. Your hormones affect your mental health. What you eat affects your mental health. How people treat you affects your mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's never seen that way. As soon as you mention something like depression or whatever, people almost, whoa, too mm. much. Mm -hmm. Versus if you, if you named the symptoms, like, you know, I can't sleep. I've right. been having a hard time sleeping. I've been having mm -hmm. a hard time eating. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't like the food I used to like. I don't mm -hmm. have the energy or the will to, willpower right. to, to go and exercise anymore. I, you know, I, I feel I'm neglecting my household. I'm not doing chores. Any, I'm not taking care of myself mm -hmm. properly. Um, those are things people then can be like, oh, well, then let me come help you clean your house and not addressing, wait a minute, what's going on here? Overall. You know? Yeah. 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 Wow. So, I, mm -hmm. yeah. So everything is interconnected. The way in which I facilitate that healing for clients is to remind them of that capacity to educate them on the interconnectivity mm -hmm. of their experiences that toxic mm -hmm. relationships that it ain't it sis yeah <laughs> ain't nobody want that <laughs> and that nothing is happening to us in isolation that yeah. is correct nothing yeah. is just an isolated event no. It, it, no. it is sometimes deep rooted in right. even generational trauma yeah it, it might not even yours maybe what you're carrying doesn't even belong to you Absolutely. and part yeah. of your healing part of your untangling of the trauma yes you're doing it for you but it's kind of like answering you're the answer to your ancestors prayers you are the the laughter and joy of your father you know, the, the bomb to your mother's soul. Like when you do these things, when you put yourself first, when you actually listen to yourself, when you take the time to care for yourself and Lord knows, sometimes that is, I'm going to take a day off. I'm mm. going to call in black today as Evelyn from the internet would say. <laughs> You know, those things, you're not being lazy. It's not mm. that you don't have the willpower to work out or eat well. When you feel sad, when you feel anxious, that food that may be making the anxiety worse in that moment probably makes you feel better. Mm -hmm. So beating yourself up for eating the fast food when that's what's in your community and that's what's accessible or beating yourself up even when you know that it's making you feel a little bit less anxious or if you smoke a cigarette like i'm not gonna focus on you stopping smoking if that's what's helping you coping mm, wow. right because it's alleviating some of the burden of or the weight of the pain that you're experiencing and just how hard it is to be you and navigate being yourself in this world mm -hmm. wow right yeah. and there's I can relate. I can relate because I was telling somebody the other day, some of the hardest seasons for me are always when I start a new job because I have, I undergo a really serious case of stereotype threat where when mm. I start a new job, I'm so consumed and overwhelmed of how am I being perceived as a black woman? How mm. am I being perceived as a black person? How mm. many of my colleagues even have a black person they know? And so what are their experiences with people that look like me and how many of those experiences are being directed towards me in our professional relationships? Then I struggle with my hair, depending on the job I just started. How can I wear my hair? How am I, when I wanna change my hair, like I, am I gonna come to work on Monday and deal with all the questions about my hair and then, and so on. And so, and that is just, 
as an aside to learning a new job altogether. Like that doesn't even have anything to do with the employee handbook, the paperwork for HR, the, you know, who's your direct, who are your direct reports or who is your boss? What are their expectations? Who are the external people outside of the company you need to take care of or work with if that's your job? That has nothing to do with any of that. It just has to do with identity crisis sometimes. And, and again, especially if you're the only one and you're working in predominantly white spaces, you have nobody to ask. Because sometimes mm -hmm. you may go to a workplace and see one other Black person and you're like, oh my God, Rebecca, hey girl, tell me all the things. <laughs> like, okay, what yes. can I do with my hair? Rebecca would be like, girl, you can do anything, just braids, I don't know. You know, I've never done it. You could try it, but I wouldn't advise it. Okay, girl, all right. How am I, all these nuances, right? And just mm -hmm. not feeling safe to ask. And so on top of that, having to learn a new job and a new space and then finding advocacy like y'all have been saying mm -hmm. finding your voice when things are despite of your race not okay like that treatment is not okay regardless whether i was black or white the way you just spoke to me how to find your voice right and mm -hmm. then to think of the new things that happen to you as far as your mental and your physical health and then battling with yourself as far as what are my comforts? I struggle because food is one of my comforts. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm trying to take care of my physical health and part of the ways I'm coping with my mental health is detrimental to my physical health, I can't, I don't know what to do with that. And mm -hmm. that's something I was working through. Like, okay, I really like fast food. And even when I cook, I like to cook not very healthy things because I, I like all the good tasting things, but that was for my mental health. But mm -hmm carrying the guilt of this is really bad for my waistline. And mm -hmm. I had to come to a point with the help of my therapist to say, she was like, if you are surviving a pandemic and all you're worried about is like how much fried chicken you ate, girl. Really? She was like, in fact, we're not talking about this in therapy anymore. You don't need to be therapeutized about this. Oh. You're coping. And she said, mm -hmm. I would be more worried if you're telling me you have nothing to do that helps you cope. Right. right. And then I'd be like, you know, what can we look for? And mm -hmm. so as far as education, because that's what it's all about, what are some reliable resources that people who may be listening? I know we are a social media generation. What are some right. good social media um, pages or influencers in this area that you all can recommend or even your own pages um, mm -hmm. that people can, can reach out to or um, read any books? Do you have any recommendations of where people can go for learning, more learning? Um, Dr. Gaynell, I'll start with you and then I'll go to Rebecca. Yes, I have many resources. <laughs> so, Rebecca might just be like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I need the resources. I got a ton. I'm just like, where do I start? Okay. Oh, good. Take, take, make a list. Let's share with people. Like some people don't know where to start. For example, yes. maybe it's for their child. Maybe it's right. for themselves. Maybe it's for their husband. Maybe it's for somebody at church and they have to wrestle through that conversation of, Mm -hmm. healing versus mental mm -hmm. health wellness and where do mm -hmm. those intersect if at all maybe they oh my gosh. A conservative church they have a conservative church community family mm -hmm. culture that really doesn't entertain mental health um conversations in this way um oh what, what resources um do you have okay so several social media handles like lots of social media handles let me just bring them up <laughs> I do book. books because I'm a bookie. Good. Yeah, and books too. Uh, My okay. Grandmother's Hands by uh, Bresma Menachem. Okay. It is from a Black perspective and it takes The Body Keeps the Score, which is another book on trauma, and just makes it more applicable to the Black experience and just talks about racial trauma and intergenerational trauma in a way that, oh my goodness, it's like such a bomb to the soul. Because he has exercises in there to check in with your body. He teaches you about like trauma lives within the body um, and in the nervous system and how to really utilize the, um, the, the, the innate things that the body does to keep you safe yes. to untangle trauma, to heal. Wow. And it's just so, oh my gosh. I read, I, so I read Homegoing, which is a fictional story about the slave trade from a Ghanaian immigrant's perspective, like she oh. was doing her thesis. It's a really lovely book, but I bawled, I cried. And so it was very um, helpful and very soothing to me to 
read homegoing with my grandmother's hands. So it was okay. like, we're bringing up stuff, things are coming up, and then my grandmother's hands, okay, this is what's going on, this is what's going on in my body, how do we navigate that and heal that and like mm. process that? It's just such a lovely book. And like there's research, so if you're like a academic or someone who really loves learning about other references, he references all of the books that he mentions. There are quotes okay. from Toni Morrison and other black authors like James Baldwin. Wow. Um, he also references another book by uh, Joy DeGroy or Joy DeGroy. Yes, Dr. DeGroy. Yes. 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 Post-slavery traumatic syndrome. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, there are books by naturopathic doctors like, oh my goodness, like Dr. Peter Bongiorno. He is a naturopathic doctor based in um, New York City and he talks about like anxiety and like actionable things to do. Mm. Um, there is Ayana Therapy on um, social that discusses their entire thing is about in- being inclusive. Okay, um, how do you about spell that? A-Y-A-N-A, Ayana okay. Therapy. Oh, okay. Yes. And they highlight different um spiritual practices so if you're muslim they reference and they highlight different uh podcasts that you can listen to authors different therapists wow they talk about um the asian asian experience and how you know they're seen as the model minority and how that affects their mental health like they Mm. talk about so many different things that you wouldn't otherwise think about unless you're going through that um there's also black and embodied oh okay um do you follow therapy for black girls i was I, i do not I follow a lot of people (laughs) like Dr. Morgan Francis. She is a white psychologist based in Arizona and she talks about body image and I could get going to that, especially within our black community and the obsession Mm. with looking a certain way and how that presents itself within our communities, you know, seeing food as bad or not, you know, having a morality but anyways yeah that whole body image thing perplexes me because when i read venus uh Mm -hmm. by who wrote venus you guys is it tony morrison no i don't think so hold on who wrote venus anyway while you look it up and how she was paraded around the world because of her curves and us going towards like feeling like we had to conform to not look as curvy to now these butt injections and you know mm-hmm. like how what mm-hmm. I, I mean I know stuff trends but my goodness like I, I don't know how we got here where black women want to exaggerate our god-given you know curves and where that pressure came from and how it's been perpetuated in our communities and how much of our black dollars are going to this yeah I can actually answer that so um it goes back to racism and how black women are viewed by other cultures specifically Mm -hmm. white cultures even the term white that race is a social construct so that's one yep yep (laughs) or viewers or listeners if they don't already know black women were either sexualized or seen as aggressive And those are the two options, so to speak, based on people outside of our experience. And so if your sexual identity is a way to move up, you're going to capitalize on it. So we see like, I'm all about women empowerment and owning your sexuality. And like, that can be really powerful. However, if we then become a part of the system that is sexist towards us specifically as black women we create another dilemma in terms of young girls viewing that Mm. oh if i don't have if i don't have the hourglass shape or you know the kim k butt or you know lipo everything out then i'm not beautiful and that there's this notion that your beauty is equated to your value right 
and I'm sure you're seeing a lot of teens and, and young black women in your practice who this is a thing. And with social media and the way it perpetuates this it's, narrative. Yes. Especially with the pandemic. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I know yes. you're inundated with, with people struggling with that. Rebecca, what resources you got for us? Um, we were talking about body image, the body yes. image apology. Um, I'm actually reading that book now. What and is it called? The Body is Not an Apology. That's by Renee Taylor. Mm. Really good so far. Um, another book that I have read and recommend for any Black woman who is experiencing um, anxiety, Soothe Your Nerves. Mm. And that's by Dr. Angela Neal Barnett. That sounds like it should come with tea. Like they should sell the book and have tea in the package. Right, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a book by Susan Ford. She is actually um, a, a white um, social worker, but the book is phenomenal. It is called Mothers Who Can't Love. And that mm. is something that most often a lot of my clients are dealing with is relationships with their mothers and toxic relationships with their mothers and how wow. to overcome that. And, you know, how do they navigate this space of this is my mom, but she's very verbally abusive or she's mm. Or, you know, she has done so many things in our family that is not acceptable. And how do I navigate that space? So that's a really good book. Wow. Um, the Racial Healing Handbook is another one that's really good. Mm. Um, I that handbook with some of my clients. That's by Annalise Singa. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one that's a really good read is The Unapologetic, Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health. Wow, that's wonderful. I know... Man, my my postcard that I'm taking notes on is full. Um, but I know like one of my earliest um, access to mental health before I could go to a therapist per se was Yanla, Yanla Van Zandt. And I would just, you know, even during quarantine, I remember one time just listening to her and the way she was like the first person to me on television, giving people that kind of therapy advice. Um, without hesitation, but with that love, that love of, I see you, I see your human condition. I relate because we share a racial identity and a similar path or walk or journey or whatever that looks like, but I'm still gonna tell you what work you need to do. And she tells people all the time to date, like, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to help you do the work if you're willing to be able to overcome what has brought you here. And so I, I know now, even with Yanla being so prominent, it's helping the mental health movement in our community because we are seeing people that have stories that we, we can relate to, people that look like us, people when they describe their childhood, you're like, man, I thought I was the only one. And then to see how she walks them through, I think even that being a resource that people can access, just even Yanla herself and Dr. Thema, Dr. Thema on the internet. <laughs> I follow her too. Um, but yeah, thank you both because this is an important topic. We could do a whole podcast on Black mental health and I'm sure there, there should be some out there, but I'm very honored to have both of you and I would love to extend an opportunity to our listeners to support you all in what you have going and um, support your practices if you're looking for new patients. Like, please let our listeners know how they can connect with you. Um, Dr. Gaynell? It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, my social media handles are at Dr. Gaynell Nave, so at Dr. Gaynell Nave on Instagram and on Facebook. And website is www.drgaynellnave, so again, www.drgaynellnave.com. Okay. I am accepting new clients and you can book a introductory call to see if we're a good fit via the gram or by visiting the website. Yeah. And I just want to remind you that the, same, the tools that your ancestors have to take care of themselves, you also have those. And mm. please remember that humming, singing, dancing are all healing. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Rebecca, how about you? I am on Instagram at about you counseling GR. And then you can locate me on Facebook at about you counseling and consulting. 
And then I am um, in the process of launching a therapeutic t-shirt line, which is called uh, Your Therapeutic Journey. So Mm. we are also on Instagram. Let me go ahead. I have like seven Instagram accounts. Let me figure out which one that is. Yes. So it is Therapeutic Uh Journey Apparel. So go and follow us. Uh, we will be doing some launching here pretty soon. So um, and then you can contact me on my website at aboutucc.com. Um, currently, unfortunately, though, I am not accepting any new clients. I am booked and busy, bless God, yes. um, <laughs> in exercising that self-care so yes. that I can preserve parts of myself for my marriage and for my children. So, yeah. And, you know, once again, as a pertains to mental health, remember that you are an advocate. If you are interested in services, make sure that you ask any service provider for a consultation. If mm. they don't offer them, that may be a red flag, but mm. make sure you have a list of questions that you may want to ask if they have experience working in whatever your experience is and, and even their experience understanding your racial background and um, their competency as it pertains yes. to treating you as a person of color. So yeah, advocate for yourself. Know that this is a journey. Mental health mm-hmm. is something that is here to stay. Take care of yourself. And thank you again for this opportunity. It was such a pleasure to be with both of you today. Thank you so much. I think that's so important to remind people of their voice. When you go to seek any health care services, remember those people work for you. It is okay mm-hmm. for you to quote unquote, for lack of a better word, interview them because it is your needs and you are the expert on your body and your wellness. You know what your normal is and you want to work in partnership, as Dr. Gennell taught us, with people that believe your narrative when you go before them seeking healthcare services. And so it is normal to ask, what is your specialty? How long have you been in practice? Have you been sued for malpractice? Um, Okay. Um, Are there any active lawsuits against you right now? Anything like that. It is your right. You, you're right. Because these people work for you to ask these questions to ensure that you, your children, your family is getting the right care that they need. So thank you both so much for being here. This has been another episode of Pulsing Black. I'm your host, Christine, signing out.